Please invite you to take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. And all those who are physically able, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 says this. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come. I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Verse 3 of Revelation 17, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes, and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. Maybe you could just mark that mentally. The blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, John writes, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Verse 15. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. If you'll remain standing 
And I will just let you know that our focus will be verses 1 through 6. Revelation 17, 1 through 6. Will you bow with me in prayer? And we'll take a brief moment of silence. Let me encourage you to pray silently. Lord, would you help us this morning? We humbly ask. We think in your word of Psalm 133, and we pray like Psalm 133 teaches us that we might be unified as a people. We think of Psalm 131, and we pray that we would walk in all humility. We think of the old word that they used to use, and we think of 1 Corinthians 13, and we pray that we would walk in all charity. Let love mark this church. May we be constrained through the love of Christ. And help us now, Lord, as we have had this privilege, maybe even for such a time as this in our world, for such a time as this in our world, in our nation, in the life of the church, privileged to look at this book of Revelation. And even though we are not looking at every section or chapter by chapter, Lord, help us today. Lord, this is your word, and and whether through any unhelpfulness on my part or any distraction, Lord, it's, it's too important for us not to hear from you through your word. So would you help us and and open your word to us for your glory through Jesus Christ we pray amen you can be seated i am really eager for us to hear this word from the lord from his scripture this morning we have uh, we have been intentional Although we've, we've said that in the book of Revelation, the intention was never to, to do what we normally do with a book, which is to go uh, just section by section. That's our, that's our normal practice, but we, we said all along that with the book of Revelation, we'd look at uh, themes. And so, just to give you maybe an anchor or a hook, you might remember, not that's okay, that that our entry point into this book some months ago was actually chapter 13. And although we've looked at other places in the book of Revelation, uh, just really important, I'll just remind you, one place we've looked at is chapters 4 and 5. Those are really important. But, but the entry point was actually and intentionally chapter 13. And this chapter today, chapter 17, has some commonalities with that in terms of of the beast, which will not be a huge focus. But in terms of the seduction, listen to me, the seduction that we as believers need to be aware of. Let me ask you a question. What is the greatest threat uh, to the church today? There's probably two main threats among others but I wonder how you would answer that question. What is the main threat 
I don't know if you remember, but we read in the reading a moment ago, we read about the blood of Christians. We read about the martyrs of the church. Maybe you would say that the main threat to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today is what you would call persecution. That would not be a bad answer at all. But perhaps you would say another answer and that the main threat would be the seduction of this fallen world. Friends, the church is not to go out of the world, but sadly, it seems too many times the church gladly and passively and all too easily invites the world into the church. And I'll say that again and come back to that. As always, of course, let me look you in the eyeball and ask you to listen carefully this morning. I want to speak to you this morning about sexual immorality, Babylon, idolatry, the great prostitute. That's really the title as well, sexual immorality, Babylon, idolatry, the great prostitute. But one word is key there. One word is key, and it is the word, any guesses, the the word that's key out of those four is the word idolatry. Idolatry. What we see here in the Bible today, what we see here in our text in Revelation chapter 17, is we see the subject matter. The subject is the judgment of Babylon. The judgment of Babylon. And I hope with God's help to make this just as clear as possible. Because it really is, in my opinion, quite amazing how relevant this is to us today. The judgment of Babylon. Why? Why the judgment of Babylon? Well, for her idolatry. For her idolatry. What has been called, uh, what one man calls, the de-godding of God. The de-godding of God. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about idolatry. A lot, really. The whole Bible. One key picture of idolatry in the Bible is that of sexual immorality. One key picture of idolatry in the Bible is adultery. Are you with me? Uh, being, uh, Being a harlot. A prostitute. He's the King James, the the whore of Babylon. As I've said, the whole Bible has much to say about this. It pictures idolatry, and that's the key thing. It pictures idolatry as adultery. Uh, One clear example of this would be uh, Ezekiel 16. You don't have to turn there. There's a lot of examples of this. New Testament, uh, James 4.4. Old Testament, certainly the Old Testament. Lots of pictures, lots of discussion. You thought the Bible was boring. You thought the Bible was tame. The Bible is the living Word of God. And it talks about adultery and sexual immorality under the umbrella of what? Of idolatry. Of idolatry. So a question for you. And and we're laying the groundwork here. I'm going to have... Two headings. I really need to lay the groundwork. 
a question for you to answer silently. If you say it out loud, I'll rebuke you here in front of everybody. What is worse? What is worse, adultery or idolatry? How would you answer that question? What would be worse, sexual immorality or idolatry? Well, they're both bad, right? They're both evil. They're both wicked. But to be precise, sexual immorality is a manifestation of idolatry. I would say Romans chapter 1. The, the, the key thing, I'm going to not tire of repeating myself, the key thing is idolatry. A specific manifestation of that can be adultery. Idolatry. Exchanging the one true God for a false God, whatever or whoever that may be. Exchanging the one true God for a false God, whoever or whatever that may be. Of course, Paul says that greed is idolatry. So you could define idolatry as worship of any material thing. You know idolatry, right? In the Bible, normally in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, idolatry is bowing down to a physical idol. We should know, according to our Bibles, that it's broader than that, right? Ben's brother preached to us from the end of 1 John, little children, keep yourself, keep yourselves, plural, from idols. Not only is idolatry bowing down to a physical image or representation of a god, idolatry is the worship of any material thing over and above God. So, we are not talking about sexual immorality itself today. That's probably somewhat obvious. We're not talking about sexual immorality head on today. No, the Bible uses this picture, this type of language, to speak about idolatry. And that being said, we're going to see today that idolatry often includes adultery. We need to talk about Rome, Rome today, about Babylon. We need to talk about, if we're going to be faithful to the text, we need to talk about judgment, the judgment of Babylon. We need to say to believers, you and I, the church of Jesus Christ today, needs to hear this message as we're thinking about the fallen, unbelieving world Come out of her. No compromise. Listen, no compromise. Judgment is coming upon this world. Do not be conformed to this world, my dear brother and sister. Do not also do not try to live uh, completely separate from this world in a bad way. Don't be a Christian hermit, right? Don't go into a Christian hermit village. So, I'll say what I said earlier. The church is not called to come out of the world, but sadly, it's, it seems, you test my judgment, but from my vantage point, the American church is awash in worldliness. In No, we're not going to come out of the world, but we're going to welcome the world into the church. And people, including our own children, Maybe we ourselves 
are going to hell because we're in bed sleeping with the world. And we prove ourselves not to be genuine followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We prove ourselves in many instances to be a very impure church and to really honestly just to honestly care less at the end of the day. Please see this in the text. See what? See the very things that we've been talking about. Please see this in the text. Look at Revelation 17. I said that our passage is 17, 1 through 6. We will also want to, want to keep in mind 17 through 19 as the important context. Remember, uh, it's sexual immorality, the title, sexual immorality, Babylon, idolatry, the great prostitute. Uh, Revelation 17, 1, come, I will show you the judgment. I'm in the middle of verse 1. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great, what, prostitute who is seated on many waters. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality... Let me just remind you that I believe right here the Bible's using that as a word for idolatry. Okay? The dwellers on earth have become drunk. Verse 3, just notice this, by the way, near the end of verse 3. The woman, that's Babylon, that's the prostitute, she was sitting on what? A scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. Uh, verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Verse 5, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. You see there? You see at least, at least on the surface of the text, you see these very things that we've been talking about. I did want to very carefully lay the groundwork. Number one. Number one's a question. I got, obviously got a lot of questions for you today. Question number one. You ready? Is it wrong to have a party to celebrate or rejoice is it wrong to rejoice at the downfall of your enemy? This is, I said, I said I have two. This is the first one. It's a question. Is it wrong to have a party to celebrate or to rejoice at the downfall of our enemy when your enemy falls? I really want you to think about that. Not your own opinion. Which you start there, but what you know about the Bible from the knowledge that you may or may not have about the Scriptures and your reasoning based on the Bible and what we know from God's revelation, because that's what matters. What matters is God's revelation. Praise God that He has revealed Himself to us. That's awesome. Is it wrong to rejoice when your enemy falls? Answer, yes. Yes. Let me not give you my opinion, but let me give you Scripture. 
Let's start with Jesus. Is it wrong to rejoice when your enemy falls? Yes. Jesus. Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, man, he, he must either be an egomaniac. What am I saying? Ego, you know what I'm saying. Megalomaniac, egomaniac, okay. But that, that's what Jesus says, right? A lot. But I say to you, who does this guy think he is? But I say to you, love your enemies, listen, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he, the Father, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You remember the question, right? Is it wrong to rejoice when your enemy falls? Yes. Proverbs 24, can it get any more clear than this? Proverbs 24, 17 through 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Look over there. My enemy just stumbled. That's my enemy. And we think more in individual terms, like she's my enemy, he's my enemy. The Bible, probably more corporate terms, right? The Bible says, Proverbs 24, let not your heart be glad when your enemy stumbles. And we could look at Romans. So just right there, that's just three. Matthew 5, Jesus Proverbs 24, Solomon, uh, Romans, Paul. Is it wrong to have a party at the downfall of your enemy? Yes. Answer number two. Answer number two, no. No. No, it is not wrong to rejoice as a church, as a believer, at the downfall of our enemy, not, not your enemy, Okay? Not, not your private war. That can be real. I mean, relational disunity is just a big problem in this fallen world. It happens all the time. Relation and marriage and, and relationships, sadly, sadly, it happens so much. But when it's our enemy, if we are the people of God, and then when we say, is it God's enemy? Then no, it is not wrong to have a party and to say, hallelujah, what am I talking about? How does this go with our text? Look at chapter 19. And the neat thing about this, the neat thing about this, even though we're by no means going to look at all three of these chapters, I just want to tell you that chapter 17, 18, and 19 reinforce each other. So go home and eat lunch, and then eat the Bible and prove me on what I just said that these three chapters reinforce each other. And so I'm not jumping to something crazy. This is the same thing. What's the whole subject matter? The fall of Babylon. What's Babylon? The fallen world in which we live. What I'm saying to you, beloved, is that Revelation 17, 18, and 19, it says that God is holy and he's the judge and everything that feels, because it is, it's so wrong to us. And when there's a true wrong in this world and we recognize it, we can have confidence that God is going to make right all wrongs in this world. 
And it's okay to rejoice appropriately. Revelation 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For why is this praise service going on? For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her, with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Do you see? Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Because why? Because God destroyed Babylon. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, Revelation 19, 4, and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne there came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. It does not matter who you are this morning. Through Jesus Christ, you can know God and fear him. I love what it says there at the end of verse 5. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Do you see the Bible answer? Do you see how we hold these in tension? It's not only, yes, it's wrong to rejoice over your enemy. It's also, yes, it is very right to rejoice at the downfall of our enemy who is God's enemy. Revelation 19, 1 through 5. Well, look back at chapter 18 for just a moment. This is a precious book of the Bible, even for us today, maybe uniquely for us today. Well, look at Revelation 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth, notice, have committed immorality with her. You see, I told you it's saying similar things. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. If you want to frame our passage, which is 17, 1 through 6, you could frame it like this. 18 2. 18 2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. 16 19. You looking at that with me? 16 19. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Notice this. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. You don't think God is not holy? You think God is playing games? Did you see the language in 1619? To make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. 
I'm trying with God's help to keep this as clear and as simple as possible. You can take 16.19 and you can take 18.2 and then you can see what our passage is about in the middle, which is 17.1 through 6. And the, and the basic subject matter of our passage this morning is the judgment on Babylon. The judgment on Babylon. We've, we've answered the question already, is it wrong to have a party at the fall of your enemy? No and yes. Now number two. Number two is just this. Heading number two is the judgment on Babylon. Now let me say it in a better way. The judgment of this world. The judgment of this world, of this present fallen world system. So what I'm saying, let me be clear, it's, it's, not, you know, it's not the only interpretation. Some people have seen Babylon here. Uh, the word Babylon in Revelation 17, and some people, and maybe like the Reformers, they say this is the Roman Catholic Church. Or other people say this is the ancient city of Rome, and to that one I say yes, okay? Babylon, in many ways, equals Rome. If you read Revelation 17, and if you know anything about some of you students maybe, what did Rome used to be called? The city on seven hills? I don't think you can read Revelation 17 and not see that for the original recipients, for the original hearers, this meant Rome. The only thing I want to say is, we don't, I, I don't say that it just means Rome. When it talks about Babylon or the harlot, the prostitute, I say Rome, yes, but I say more. I'm not really saying the Roman Catholic Church. I am saying Rome, but I'm saying more. And here's my favorite definition that has been given. Listen to this. It's really simple. It's really helpful. What is Babylon? The unbelieving world apart from Christ. You know what's really cool? Is chapters 17 through 21 to go together. The Bible's awesome, I'm telling you. Chapters 17 through 21 to go together. And what do those five chapters talk about? Two women. Two women. One's a prostitute and one is a faithful wife. You're a faithful wife if you're a part of the church. With all of your foibles and sins, Jesus Christ purifies his church by his blood. And that's really the rest of the book of Revelation. That's it. 17 through 21, you have Babylon, the prostitute. And on the other hand, you have the faithful wife who is the new Jerusalem, the bride of the lamb. Man, that's cool. The new Jerusalem, the bride of the lamb over against. And the scripture intentionally contrasts them over and over. New Jerusalem, bride, fine, clean linen, the righteous deeds of the saints, Babylon, harlot, prostitute, clothed with opulence, clothed with sexual immorality. The contrast could not be more clear. We see here the judgment of Babylon, and the very straightforward point I'm trying to make is that Babylon is, in my view, ultimately comes to symbolize the unbelieving world apart from Christ. So who cares? Why does that matter for us? Well, it matters because I think what he's trying to do here for them and for us. Listen to me. I think a big part of what he's trying to do is to say, look, to them and to us, life is not always easy. Life as a Christ follower is definitely not always easy. But if you will look with the eye of faith, Psalm 73, if you will look and see, if you will just see the judgment that is coming on this 
fallen world apart from Christ. Do you see? Do you see? If you will look ahead and see that God will judge this fallen world, the world apart from Christ, the unbelieving world, if you will see that, and in light of that, if you will seek through Jesus Christ and His grace alone to live a life that is pleasing to God, a life of holiness. That is this whole section. Look at it again, verse 1. One of the angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality. Notice the language that is. I mean, it talks about sex. It talks about alcohol. And we should talk about this passage in church and public places because of the heart of the matter that it's getting to. Look at the end of verse 2. With the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Now we joke about how boys and girls have all heard say, you know, we make a joke, you know, well, well Johnny, are you, know, you going to jump off the cliff if everybody's doing it? But part of the point is that everybody's doing it. And part of the point in 2022 is that maybe we could say 60 years ago we had a fair uh, degree of definition of what's normal. But what's normal today according to Jesus Christ and according to the Bible will not be thought of as great. Oh, you're great, church. You're great, Christians. No. You keep reading and they're talking about the blood of the martyrs. He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, verse 3, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which reminds us of chapter 13, which so clearly talked about that beast. We might, we might use the word antichrist that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. church is not to come out of the world, we may very well need to repent of gladly swinging open the doors and saying, come on in, world, to the church. We may need to give much more diligent attention to our own souls. Examine yourself. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, we may need to give, we do need to give much more diligent attention to our families. Again, the statistics, who cares about the statistics? The, the children of Christian church members who in college age are leaving the church in droves. Who cares about statistics? But that's true. It's true because, I'm sorry, it's true because of worldliness. And we need to be captured by the beauty of Christ. And we need to see that God is holy. And we need to not play games because the judgment of this world is coming and the resounding message is come out of her. Come out of her. And so all you have in chapter 17 through 19, all you have is the introduction 
of the prostitute Babylon. In verses 7 through 17, you have the angel's explanation, which can be confusing. And then in chapters 18 and 19, you have two responses to the fall of Babylon. You have two responses. That's the bulk of this section. Two responses to the fall of Babylon. The world says, this is terrible. We've linked our chain. We've linked our lives to Babylon, to the, to the unbelieving world. So this is terrible. And you, and you read these chapters, and, and you see the merchants and the salesmen and all of these people, and they're weeping, and they can't believe it because God's sovereign, and he's holy, and he takes out Babylon just like that. And in an hour, Babylon's gone. And the the people of this world, the earth dwellers, the earth dwellers are distraught. Because my whole life, my whole life has been hitched to this wagon. And And it's under the judgment of God. And the Christians and the church have the opposite reaction. They rejoice and they say, hallelujah. Because it's not wrong to celebrate God's judgment against God's enemies, who are our enemies. Do you see? And so what? I'm not going to say anything new. So what? If, number one, was that it's okay to rejoice the downfall of our enemy. If, number two, was the judgment of Babylon, God is going to judge the unbelieving world apart from Christ. God is going to judge the unbelieving world. Does that, does that include you? When I say the unbelieving world, you need to repent of your sins and fly to Jesus Christ now. So what? Well, back in chapter 18, verse 4. Because it all goes together. I heard a few pages turn. Chapter 18, verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, verse 7 of chapter 18, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Go back to verse 4. What is the message for us today? It's really laid out right there for us. What's the message to the church? For them then, you don't need to move physically out of Rome, but you need to come out of Rome. For us today, do you see, you don't need to move physically to become a Christian hermit, but come out of her. Come out of her. And what? The message of the Bible is not negative. The message is go into the new Jerusalem. Come out of the unbelieving world and go into the new Jerusalem through Jesus Christ, through the ark Noah's Ark? Nope, not this time. Through the Ark, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Go into that Ark. Come out of her, lest you take part 
in her sins. I'm so encouraged and I so want to share with you as I close in a minute. Was so helped. Listen to this. The gravest danger for God's people is often not external persecution. Pray for the persecuted church. Absolutely, of course. But the allurement of prosperity, social advancement, and ease of lifestyle. The carrot may be more dangerous than the stick. The carrot may be more dangerous than the stick. More dangerous than persecution. More dangerous than getting your head chopped off as a martyr of Jesus Christ because that actually serves to build the church. What serves to tear down the church? Crossway church! What serves to tear down the church, including Crossway, is the insidious creep of worldliness to where we don't come out. The gravest danger for God's people is often not external persecution, but the allurement of prosperity, social advancement, and ease of lifestyle. Don't come out of the world. Listen to good secular music. Enjoy good sports. Enjoy material things. Yes, yes. But be discerning. Be discerning. And one more, I'm, I'm, I, must, I must share. As we've talked about, maybe you remember we talked about in chapter 17, the beast. And, and if you think, oh, he's, he's getting ready, maybe he's, he's just hung up on this COVID thing or something. I'm not talking about COVID. I think what this brother says here is true to the text. Listen. He's talking about the prospect of delusion on a grand scale. We can, we can be deluded. Those who think that an individual or two can be misled, but the majority is usually right, should pay attention to this. People who think that one or two people can be misled, but the majority is usually right. This passage, again, I'm not talking about COVID or, or anything. This passage tells us, no, the, the whole world, the road is wide that leads to destruction. Society-wide systemic delusion is portrayed here. What John sees in his vision is an interconnected network of godless values embraced by the world at large. The wider society is astonished that anyone would resist her ways. What the world is astonished at is, why would you not go along? Why would you not go along? Here's our answer. Jesus is compelling. He's beautiful. The cross and the resurrection and the ascension and the second coming, that's exactly what we need. And let's remember that here as we pray together. Join me in prayer. Our great God, we praise you. You are one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, our sovereign King, we praise you. We thank you that you have willingly laid down your life in the place of sinners. You, our Lord Jesus Christ, are the risen, conquering King. And as the victor, 
you will be seen to be victorious. And we thank you that you have spread this meal for us. And we thank you for what it reminds us of is to come. And so we pray that you would help us now. Lord, let your word be clear in our minds and in our hearts. May it be the instrument that you use to transform us through the gospel. Help us even this day. Lead us in confession and repentance as we are saints who, are, who still continue to sin on a daily basis. So help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.